Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Chapter of book seven, or book the seventh, sorry, book seven, whatever. Chapter 13, and I think this is a doozy too. I think this one's kind of a long, oh my goodness, it is. You guys, brace yourself, it's a longy. Okay, chapter 13, a series of unfortunate events by, do you have gum in your mouth? No. Oh, I thought you were chewing gum. Book this by Lemony Snicket, book the seventh, The Vile Village. The Baudelaire's looked at the quagmires, and the quagmires looked at the Baudelaire's, and then all five children looked at the mob. All the members of the Council of the Elders were walking together, their crow-shaped hats bobbing in unison. Miss Morrow was leading the chant, burn the orphans, burn the orphans. Can you imagine if somebody was saying that about kids? That is wild. Which the Verhugan family was taking up with spirit, and Mr. Lesko's eyes were shining brightly with his torch. The only person missing from the mob was Detective Dupont, whose chil- who the children were expecting to be leading the crowd. Instead, Officer Luciano Luciano walked in front, scowling below the visitors of scowling below the visor of her helmet as she led the way in her shiny black boots. Every it's interesting because like the bad people always have the word description shiny for them, huh? It is in one white gloved hand she clutched something covered in a blanket, and with the other hand. She was pointing to the terrified children. There they are, Officer Luciana cried, pointing with her white-gloved finger at the five terrible children. I'm terrified, not terrible. Five terrified children. They have nowhere else to go. She's right, Klaus cried. There's no escape. Machina, Sunny shrieked. There's no sign of Dua ex-machine, Sunny, Violet said, her eyes filling with tears. I don't think anything will be helpful until... Until... Well, I don't think anything helpful will arrive unexpectedly. Machina, Sunny insisted, pointing at the sky. The children took their eyes off of the approaching mob and looked up, and there was the greatest example of a duex machina they have ever seen. Floating just over the children's heads was a superlative sight of the sustaining hot air mobile home. Although the invention had been quite marvelous to look in, to look at in Hector's studio, it was truly wondrous now that it was actually being put to use. And even the angry citizens of VFD stopped chasing the children for a moment just so they could stare at this amazing sight. The self-sustaining hot air mobile home was enormous, as if the entire cottage house somehow had somehow detached itself from the neighborhood and was wandering around the sky. The twelve baskets were all connected and floating together like a group of rafts with all of the tubes, pipes, and wires twisted around them like a huge piece of knitting. Above the baskets were dozens of balloons in varying shades of green. Fully inflated, they fully inflated. They looked like a floating they looked like a floating crop of crisp ripe apples glistening in the last of the afternoon light of the afternoon. The mechanical devices were working well were working at full force and flashing lights spinning gears ringing bells dripping faucets whirling pulleys and a hundred other gadgets all going at once but miraculously self-sustaining hot air balloon was hot air mobile home was as silent as as silent as a cloud 
the invention sailed towards the ground, and the only sound that could be heard was Hector's triumphant shout. Here I am, the handyman called from the control basket, and here it is, like a bolt, and here it is, like a bolt from the blue. Violet, your improvements are working perfectly. Climb aboard and we'll escape this wretched place. He flicked a yellow switch and a long ladder made of rope began to unfurl down to where the children were standing. Because my invention is self-sustaining, he explained, it isn't designed to have to come to come back to the ground, so you're going to have to climb up this ladder. Duncan caught the end of the ladder and held it to Isadora to climb up. I'm Duncan Quagmire, he said, and this is my sister Isadora. Yes, the Baudelaire's have told me all about you, Hector said. I'm glad you're coming along. Like all mechanical devices, the self-sustaining air, hot air home, mobile home needs several people to keep it running. Aha, cried Mr. Lesko as Isadora hurried, hurried, hurriedly climbed the ladder with Duncan right behind her. The mob had stopped staring at the D-Do-X machina and was now marching once again towards the children. I knew it was a mechanical device. All those buttons and gears can't fool me. Why, Hector, Hector, the elder said, rule number 67 clearly states that no citizen is allowed to build or use any mechanical devices. Burn him to the stake, too, cried Miss Morrow. Somebody get an extra kindling. Hector took a deep breath and then called down to the mob without a trace of skittishness to the stake. Oh, d- a skittish- skittishness in his voice. Nobody's going to be burned at the stake, he said firmly as Isidore reached the top of the ladder and joined Hector on the control basket. Burning people at the stake is a repulsive thing to do. What's repulsive is your behavior, Elder. the elder said. The children have murdered Count Olaf and you have built a mechanical device. You have both broken a very important rule. Wait, if they murdered the person that was going to be sentenced to death, why is that bad? <laughs> That's what I just realized. He was about... Okay, whatever. They wanted to kill him, not let the kids kill him? Okay. I don't want to live in a place with so many rules, Hector replied in a quiet voice, or a place with so many crows. I'm floating away from here, and I'm taking these five children with me. The Baudelaire's and the Quagmire's have had a horrible time since their parents died. The village of foul devotees ought to be taking care of them instead of accusing them of things and chasing them through the streets. But who's going to do our chores? The elder asked. The snack hut is still fully full of dirty dishes from hot fudge sundaes. You should do your own chores, the handyman said as he leaned over and lifted Duncan aboard his invention. Or take turns doing them according to the fair, according to a, a fair schedule. An aphorism is, it takes a village to raise a child. Not three children should clean up after a village. The Baudelaire's climbed aboard. Let's leave these terrible people behind us. The Baudelaire's smiled at one another and began climbing up the rope. Violet went first, her hands clutching and clutching the scratchy rope as tightly as she could, and Klaus and Sonny followed closely behind. Hector turned the knob and the mob turned the mob and the mobile home raised higher just as the crowd reached the end of the ladder. They're getting away the elder called from her her crow shaped hat bobbing with frustration. She jumped up to try and grab the edge of the ladder, but Hector had maneuvered his invention too high for her to reach. Rule breakers are getting away Officer Luciana, do something I'll do something all right, Officer Luciana said with a snarl and tossed away the blanket she'd been holding from halfway down the ladder. The three children climbing. The Baudelaire's looked down and saw a large wicked object in Luciana's hand with a bright red trigger and four sharp hooks. I remember watching this episode with you. 
with the mechanical device. She called up to Hector. This is a harpoon gun that my boyfriend bought for me. His fires, it fires four hook harpoons, which are long spears, perfectly for popping balloons. Oh no, Hector said, looking down at the climbing children. Raise the self-sustaining hot air balloon. Home, Hector, Violet called. We'll keep climbing. Our chief of police is using a mechanical device, Mrs. Morrow asked in astonishment. That means she's breaking rule number 67 too. Officers of the law are allowed to break rules. What? Officers are not allowed to break rules either, Luciana said, aiming the harpoon gun at Hector's direction. Besides, this is an emergency, and we need to get those murderers down from there. Members of the mob looked around one another in confusion, but Luciana merely gave them a lipstick smile and pressed the harpoon gun's trigger with a sharp click, followed by a swoosh as one of the hook's harpoons flew out and went straight to Hector's invention. The handyman managed to maneuver the self-sustaining hot air balloon so that the harpoons did not hit a balloon, but it struck the metal tank on the side of the air balloons, making a large hole. Drat, Hector said, with a purplish liquid began to pour from the hole. That's my supply of cranberry juice. Baudelaire's, hurry up. If she causes any more serious damage, we're doomed. We're coming as fast as we can, Klaus cried, but Hector moved his invention even higher in the air. The rope the rope ladder was shaking so much that the Baudelaire's could not move very fast at all. Click, swoosh, another harpoon flew through the air and landed in the sixth basket, sending a cloud of brown dust fluttering to the ground, followed by some thin metal tube. She hit our supply of whole wheat flour, Hector cried, and our box of extra batteries. Uh-oh. I'll hit a balloon. Cocoa powder. Oh, actually, that would have been funnier, huh? I hit a balloon. I'll hit a balloon with this one, Officer Luciana called. Then you'll fall to the ground where we can burn you at the stake. Officer Luciana said one of the council elders of the crowd. I don't think that you should break the rules in order to capture people who have broken the rules. It doesn't make any sense. Here, here, called out the townspeople from the opposite side of the crowd. Why don't you put down that harpoon gun and we'll walk over to the town and have a council meeting. It's not cool, called out a voice, to have meetings. There's a rumble. There was a rumble as if a large potato had arrived, and the crowd parted and revealed Detective Dupont riding on his, riding through the mob on a motorcycle painted turquoise to match his blazer. Below his sunglasses was a grin of triumph. Am I supposed to hold your foot? Okay. <laughs> She's reaching something off of her bed. Oh, I got it. You're getting your squish mallow. Okay, you got it. I don't think so. You look like you're still struggling. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, um, blah, 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 blah. Detective Dupont is using a, a mechanical device too? Asked an elder. We can't, we can't just burn everyone at the stake. Dupont isn't a citizen, another member of the council pointed out. He's not breaking rule number 67, but he's riding through the crowd of people, Mr. Lesko said, and he's not wearing a helmet. He's not showing good judgment, and that's for sure. Detective Dupont, Detective Dupont ignored Mr. Lesko's lecture about motorcycle safety and pulled, pulled to a stop beside Officer Luciana. It's cool to be late, he said. He snapped his fingers. It was, I was buying today's edition of the Daily Punctilio. You shouldn't be buying newspapers, said an elder, shaking her head in disapproval. You should be catching criminals. Here, here. Here. 
as several voices in agreement said, but the crowd was beginning to look uncertain. It is hard to work. It is hard work to be fierce after all, all afternoon, and the situation grew more and more complicated. The citizens of VFD seemed a bit less bloodthirsty. A few, a few townspeople even lowered their torches, which had been very heavy to hold up all this time. But the detective Dupont ignored the change in the VFT's mob psychology. Leave me alone, you crow-hatted fool, he said to the elder and snapped his finger. It's cool to fire away. It's cool to fire away, Officer Luciana. It certainly is, Luciana said and looked up to the sky to aim a a harpoon gun again. But the self-sustaining hot air mobile home was no longer in the sky. Really? In all the commotion, no one had noticed that the afternoon... No one had noticed that the afternoon was over and the VFD crowds had left their downtown station roost to fly in circles before migrating to Nevermore Tree to spend the night as usual. Now the crows are arriving, thousands and thousands of them, in, in, uh, and in seconds the evening sky was covered in black, muttering birds. Officer Luciana could not see Hector and his invention. Hector could not see the Baudelaire's and the rope could not see and the Baudelaire's could not see anything. The rope ladder was right in the path of the migrating crows, and the three children were absolutely surrounded by birds of VFD. The wings of the crows rustled against the children, and their feathers became tangled in the ladder. All the three siblings could do was hang on for dear life. Baudelaire's, Hector called down, hang on for dear life. I'm flying even higher, over the crows. No, Sunny cried, which meant something like, I'm not sure that's the wisest plan, but we won't survive a fall at such height. But Hector couldn't hear over the loud click and swoosh from Luciana's harpoon gun. The Baudelaire's felt uh, felt the rope jerk sharply in their hands and suddenly then twist in the crow-filled air. From up in the control basket, the quagmire triplets looked down and caught a glimpse through the migrating crows and some very bad news. The harpoon hit the ladder, Isabora called, Isabora. Isadora called down to her friends in despair. The rope is being is becoming unraveled. It was true. The crows began to settle at Nevermore Tree. And Baudelaire's could see it most clearly than anything, the ladder in horror. The harpoon was sticking out of one of the ladder's thick ropes, which slowly uncurled around the hook. It reminded Violet of the time when she was much younger and had begged her mother to braid her hair so she could look like a famous inventor she had seen in a magazine. Despite her mother's best efforts, the braids had not held their shape um, held their shape, and had come unraveled almost as soon as she tied with her hair ends with a ribbon. Violet's hair had slowly spun out of the braid just as the strands of ropes were, were spinning out of the ladder. Climb faster, Duncan screamed down. Climb faster! No, Violet said quietly, and then again her siblings could hear. More and more, the crows were taking their place in the tree, and Klaus and Sunny could see that Violet's grim face as she looked down in despair. No, the eldest Baudelaire took another look at the unraveling rope and saw that they couldn't possibly climb up to the basket of of Hector's self-sustaining hot air mobile. It was just impossible, as it was for her, as it was her mother ever braiding her hair again. We can't do it, she said. If we keep trying to climb, we're going to fall to our death. We have to climb down. But, Klaus said. No, Violet said, and one tear rolled down her cheek. We won't make it, Klaus. Yulis, Sunny said. No, Violet said again, and looked at her siblings in the eye. Three Baudelaire's shared a moment of frustration, and despite that they could not be, they could not follow their friends in the 
and without another word, they began climbing down the unraveling ladder. Soon, the murder of crows was still migrating. Oh, through the murder of crows that was still migrating to Nevermore Tree. Also, murder is um, what it what um a big group of crows is called. That's true. That's true. When the Baudelaire's climbed down the nine rungs of the rope, mm-hmm. unbraided completely and dropped the children to the flat landscape, unhappy but unharmed. Hector, maneuver your invention back down, Isadora called. Her voice sounded a bit faint from far away. Duncan, I can lean out of the basket and make a human ladder. Yeah, like to climb up. Mm-hmm. There's still time to retrieve them. I can't, Hector said sadly, gazing down at the Baudelaire's who were standing up at the untangled ladder. As the detective Dupont started to stride towards them, his plat in his plastic shoes, it's not designed to return to the ground. There must be a way, Duncan cried, but only the self-sustaining hot air balloon, I mean, hot air mobile home, only floated away further. We could try and climb the Nevermore tree, Klaus said, and jump into the control basket. It's from the highest branch. Violet shook her head. The tree, the tree is already halfway covered in crows, she said, and Hector's invention is flying too high. She looked up at the sky and cupped her hands in her mouth so her voice could travel all the way up to her friends. We can't reach you now, she cried. We'll catch up with you later. Isadora's voice came back so faintly that the Baudelaire's could scarcely hear over the muttering crows who were still settling in the in Nevermore tree. How can you catch up with the with us later, called Isadora in the middle of the air. I don't know, Violet admitted, but I'll find a way, I promise. In the meantime... Duncan called back, take these. The Baudelaire's could not see the triplets holding his dark green notebook and Isadora holding hers over the side of the basket, over the side of the basket. This has all the information about Count Olaf's evil plan and and the secret of VFD. Jacques snickered and Jacques Snicket's murder. His voice as trembly as it was faint and the three siblings knew their friends were crying. It was the least of... It was the least we could do, he called. Take our notebooks, Baudelaire's Isadora called. Maybe it's something. Maybe someday we'll meet again. The quagmire triplets dropped their notebooks to the self-sustaining hot uh, hot air mobile home and called out goodbye to the Baudelaire's, but their farewell was drowned out with the sound of another click, click, swoosh as Officer Luciana fired one last harpoon as... After so much practice, I'm sorry to say that her aim had improved and the hook hit exactly what Luciana hoped it would. The the sharp spear sailed through the air and hit not one, but both of the quagmire's notebooks. And and there was a loud rippling noise and the air was filled with sheets and papers, sheets of papers tossing this way and that way, rustling in the wind made by the flying crows. The quagmires yelled in frustration and called out one last thing down to their friends, but Hector's invention had flown too high for the Baudelaire's to hear it at all. Volunteer! The children heard dimly, and then the self-sustaining hot air balloon floated too high for the orphans to hear anything more. Tesper, Sunny cried, which meant, let's get, let's try and gather as many pages of the notebook as we can. If Tesper means all is lost, then the baby isn't so stupid after all, the detective Dupont said as he reached the Baudelaire's he opened his blazer exposing more of his pale hairy chest it took I know and took out took a rolled up newspaper out of his inside pocket looking down at the children as if they were three young bugs he was about to squash I thought you'd want to see the daily punctilio he said and unrolled the newspaper 
to show the headline. Baudelaire orphans at large, it read, using a phrase here which means not in jail. Below the headline were three drawings, one of each of the siblings' faces. Detective Dupont removed his glasses so that he could read the newspaper in the fading light. Authorities are trying to capture Veronica, Clyde, and Susie Baudelaire. <laughs> They're terrible reporters. Mm-hmm. And he, he read out loud, who escaped from the uptown jail of the village devotees, where, where they were imprisoned by a murder of Count Susie. Omar. What? Susie. I know. He gave the children a nasty smile and threw the daily punctilio down to the ground. Some nings are wrong, of course, he said, but everybody makes mistakes. Tomorrow, of course, there will be another special edition, and I'll make sure that the daily punctilio gets every detail of the correct story about Detective Dupont's super cool capture of the notorious Baudelaire's. Dupont leaned down to the children, so close that they could smell the egg salad sandwich that apparently eaten for lunch. Of course, he said in a quiet voice so only the Baudelaire's could hear him. One Baudelaire will escape at at the last minute and live with me until the fortune is mine. The question is, which Baudelaire will it be? You still haven't let me know your decision. We're not going to entertain that notion, Olaf, Violet said bitterly. Oh no, an elder cried and pointed at the flat horizon by the light of the sunset. The Baudelaire's could see a small slender shape sticking out of the ground while the quagmire pages fluttered by. It was the last harpoon Luciana had fired, and it hit something else after destroying the quagmire's notebooks. There, pinned to the ground, was one of the VFD crows opening its mouth in pain. You harmed a crow, Miss Morrow said in horror, pointing at Officer Luciana. That's rule number one, the most important rule of all. Oh, it's just a stupid bird, Dector- Detective Dupont said, turning his face to the... And turning... To face the horrified citizens, a stupid bird, the elders repeated, his crow's trembling hat, his crow hat trembled in anger. A stupid bird, Detective Dupont, this is the village of foul devotees, and, wait a minute, interrupted a voice from the crowd, look everyone, he only has one eyebrow. Detective Dupont, who had removed his sunglasses to read the newspaper into the... And reached re- and into. reach into the pocket blazer and put it back, put them back on again. Lots of people have one eyebrow, he said. The crowd of people paid no attention as the mob psychology began to take hold again. Let's make him take off his shoes, called Mr. Lesko. An elder knelt down to one of Dupont's feet. If he has a tattoo, let's burn him at the stake. Here, here, a group of citizens agreed. Now wait just one minute, Officer Luciana said, putting down the harpoon gun and looking at Dupont in concern. And let's burn Officer Luciana too, <clears throat> Miss Morrow said. She wounded a crow. We don't all want these torches to go to waste, cried an elder. Here, here. Detective Dupont opened his mouth to speak, and the children could see that he was thinking frantically of something to say that would fool VFT citizens. But then he simply closed his mouth, and with a flick of his foot, he kicked the elder who was holding his shoe. As the mob gasped, the elder crow shape, wait, the elder's crow-shaped hat fell off. Hat fell off as she rolled to the ground, still clutching Dupont's plastic shoe. It's a tattoo! One of the Verhugans cried, pointing to the eye of the detective Dupont's, or more properly, Count Olaf's left ankle. With a roar. 
Olaf ran back to his motorcycle, and with another roar, he started the engine. Hop aboard, Esme, he called out to Officer Luciana. The chief removed her motorcycle helmet with a smile, and the Baudelaire saw that it was indeed Esme Squalor. It's Esme Squalor, an elder cried. She used to be the city's sixth most most successful financial advisor, but now she works with Count Olaf. I heard the two of them are dating, Miss Morrow said in horror. We are dating, Esme cried in triumph, and she climbed up, uh, climbed aboard Count Olaf's motorcycle and tossed her helmet to the ground, showing that she cared no more about motorcycle safety than she did about the welfare of the crows. So long, Baudelaire's, Count Olaf cried, zooming through the angry crowd. I'll find you again if the authorities don't find you first. Esme cackled at the motorcycle as the motorcycle roared off and sped across the flat, the flat landscape at more than twice the legal speed. So within the moments of the motorcycle, within moments of the motorcycle, it was a tiny speck in the horizon on the self-sustaining hot air balloon was in the sky. The mob stared at the two villains in disappointment. We'll never catch up to them, an elder said with a frown. Not without any mechanical devices. Ugh, never mind about that, another elder replied. We have more important things to attend to. Hurry, everyone, rush to the crow. Rush this crow to the VFD vet. The Baudelaire's looked at one another in astonishment as the citizens of VFD carefully unpinned the crow and began to carry it back to town. What should we do, Violet asked as she was talking to her siblings. Not talk as she was talking to her siblings, but a member of the Council of Elders overheard and turned back to her to answer. Stay right here, he said. Count Olaf and that dishonest girlfriend of his have escaped, but you are still criminals. We'll burn you at the stake as soon as this crow received. Because they remember they killed the fake Olaf, they think. We'll burn you at the stake as soon as this crow has received proper medical attention. The elder ran after the crow-carrying mob, and in a few seconds the children were alone in a flat landscape with only one shuffling paper, one of the shuffling papers of the Quagmire's notebooks for company. Well, let's gather these up, said Klaus, stooping down to pick up the badly ripped pages. There are only hope for of being discovered that the VFD secret. And of defeating Count Olaf, Violet agreed, walking over to where the small stack of pages had blown together. Phelan, Sunny said, scrambling after the one that seemed to have a map scrawled on it. She meant, and, oh wait, Phelan, Sunny said, scrambling after the one that seemed to have a map scrawled on it. She meant, and of proving that we're not murderers. The children paused to look at the daily punctilia, which still lie on the ground. Their own faces stared back at them below the headline, Baudelaire's orphan, Baudelaire Orphans at Large. But the children did not feel at large. The Baudelaire's felt as small as they could be, standing alone in the bare outskirts of VFD, chasing down a few pages of the Quagmire's notebook that were not gone forever. Violet managed to grab six pages, Klaus managed to grab seven, and Sunny managed to grab nine. But many of the recovered pages were ripped or blank or all crumbled from the wind. We'll study them later, Violet said, gathering the pages together and tying them in a bundle with her, with her hair ribbon. In the meantime, we have to get out of here before the mob returns. But where will we go? Klaus asked. Barb, Sunny said, which meant anywhere as long as it's out of this town. Who cares about? Who will take care of us out there? Klaus said, looking at the flat horizon. Nobody. <sighs> Nobody, Violet said. We'll have to take care of ourselves. We'll have to be self-sustaining. Like the hot air mobile home, Klaus said, that could travel and survive all by itself. Like me, Sunny said. Like me, Sunny said, and abruptly stood up. Violet, Klaus, and 
Violet and Klaus gasped in surprise as her baby sister took her first wobbly step and then walked closely beside her, ready to catch her if she fell. But she didn't fall. Sunny took a few more self-sustaining steps, and then the three Baudelaire stood together, casting long shadows across the horizon of the dying light of the sunset. They looked up to see a tiny dot in the sky, far, far... That's right, yeah. Far, far away where the quagmire triplets could live in safety with Hector. They looked out at the landscape where Count Olaf had ridden off with Esme Squalor to find an, to find his associate and cook up another scheme. They looked they looked back at Nevermore Tree where the VFD crows were muttering together for their evening roost, and they looked out at the world where their families where families everywhere would soon be reading about the three siblings in a special edition of the Daily Punctilio. It seemed that the Baudelaire's had every creature in the world being taken care of by others, every creature except for themselves. But the children, of course, could take care of one another, as they had been caring for one another since the terrible day at the beach. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny looked at one another, took a deep breath, gathering up all the courage they, that they had, all the courage to face the bolts from the blue and they guessed and i'm sorry to say guessed correctly lay ahead of them and guessed that lay ahead of them and then self and then the self-sustaining orphan Baudelaire orphans took their first steps away from the town towards the last few rays of the sunset that's it well again these poor oh wait is that it yeah that's it. These poor kids are by themselves. Jiminy. Jiminy Snicket. Jeez Louise. This is crazy, Peyton. This is just crazy. Crazy, crazy.